So um, we're, we're going to move to the next part of our service here in just a second. But I sure am glad not to have an itinerary or a, a, a bulletin or anything else that feels like a shock. Because there's something I want to share with you. Turn to Acts 19. I promise I'm not going to speak from you, Lord. I can't. I don't know what she's preaching about. Isn't that good? I figure if she came from Malaysia, Jesus sent her. That's good enough for me. Somebody read out loud, starting in uh, 19, verse 8, and read down through 12. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly malign, malign the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Keep going. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. The Ephesus, spiritual Ephesus, friends. In this place, Paul turned it so upside down that something worth 50,000 days wages, 50,000 drachmas, a drachma being a day's wage, was burned. He turned it so upside down for Jesus that the whole city came out and chanted in a riot for two hours. He turned it so upside down that even people without Jesus were trying to imitate the things that he was doing in Jesus. He turned it so upside down that you can use a word like extraordinary miracle as if there's such a thing as an ordinary <laughs> miracle. Oh, that we would know the power of God. Can you imagine that miracles were so commonplace, what we were talking about was not miracles, but extraordinary miracles. He wasn't welcome in a synagogue, so I rented a hall. They met in a hall for two years. Some people would take that as a real slight. He took it as an opportunity. And from Ephesus, he wrote things like, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. From Ephesus, he wrote things like, you are seated in heavenly realms. He wrote things like Ephesians 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood. So I have a message for our church. We're in a time of warfare. There's no question. I can feel things and pushing. All of the leaders have mentioned, we've all had some sleep, sleepless nights. My wife woke up yesterday at 2 o'clock in the morning shouting in other tongues. Uh, a, a demonic dream, difficult thing, and thought through it. We were built for contention. These are the times you see extraordinary miracles. If you feel pushed with thoughts that do not line up with the Word of God, push back. You hear me? If you have divisive thoughts, we are a family. Push back. Right? The people in this room love you. We are missing you if you are not here. Because God called us to spur one another on towards good deeds. I want to tell you why I think we've caught the attention of the enemy. Okay? More than 40% of every dollar that has come in this ministry in the first five and a half months went to missions. Amen. I want you to hear that. Think about that. Don't think about it as some 
religious institution somewhere else because we're not. This grew from our living room. So think about it like it was your budget. If out of every dollar that came in your house, more than 40% of that dollar went overseas. Guys, it, it, was, it was over $63,000 before June. That does not include India. That does not include Honduras. That does not include Peru. It doesn't include the speakers that we've had since then. doesn't include any of those things. And you know what? I think we can go further. Because we serve a God who will do extraordinary miracles. If we can get our eyes off of the selfish, how do we get blessed, and onto the sacrificial, we have paved the way for the extraordinary. I don't much care whether we meet in that field, whether we cram into a living room, or whether we have to rent more buildings. It makes no difference to me. My entire goal is that we touch the world for the gospel. Amen. That's, that's the entire goal. I spent more than 160 hours on airplanes this year. More than 20 countries. Now, that's an easy statistic to spit out there. But my ankles swell like a pregnant woman. There's a reason we are on a mandate to do this. We're on a mandate because we received it from the Lord. So I'm asking you with all of your heart to pitch into everything that's going on in this ministry. It is not some organization. This is a family. And at the end of the day, there is no headquarters in Springfield, Missouri. There is no long list of people that uh, are unseen somewhere. It is what you made it right here. But I am so proud of what you have made it. Right? It was a time we could not gather three people to hear us. There wasn't. But Jesus is doing something here. And he's increasing our influence because we have the right message. And we're not the only ones with the right message. You're going to hear the right message from Malaysia. You're going to hear it Sunday from Peru. You heard it a couple weeks ago from Sri Lanka. Did you not feel blessed? Yes. We have a schedule that looks like a mega church, and we, we model ourselves after a mini church pastor named Jesus. Right? Uh, I could care less about rich and famous, but I care everything about nameless servants around the world. This is where our heart is. I just I want you to get behind it. Right? I want you with all of your heart to strive for it. Because this is not a holy place for a holy fee on a holy day where you come to be entertained. This is a place where the ordinary human beings become extraordinary. And you go do extraordinary things for your God in this world. And we see it. We see it happening at abortion clinics. We see it happening everywhere you're branching out and we're just beginning. I think we can turn this thing upside down just like Paul did Ephesus. Uh, I'm not convinced Sugarland's dead. I'm not convinced this international city has no hope. In fact, I'm beginning to believe that we hold the key in our hands to change it. Amen? Amen. Y'all want to welcome our speaker up here? Yeah. yeah. Come on up here, Miss Gloria. I didn't ask her anything except if she wanted a mic. You know? Oh, hey, sound booth, which mic should we use? Um, that sounds so official, doesn't it? Sound like, you just jump Did y'all know John and Joy live with me? Yes. I live with John and Joy. Yes. And from time to time, people like Susan have lived with us. People like David have lived with us. Cody lived with us. Brandon lived with us. 
the church becomes a powerful thing when nothing belongs to you anymore. Everything belongs to Jesus. Right? Yes. Come on. What do you think you have in your life that would bless somebody else on the other side of the world? I, I just encourage you to begin thinking like that. We're about to go to Honduras. We're sitting around scraping together our pennies thinking about what it is that we need. We don't need money. We need sacrificial lives. We need anything that you could do that you can get no glory for, but Jesus could receive glory for. Isn't that good? Yes. You know, the missionary there hadn't asked for a single thing from us except come. That's something you ought to be able to give me. Hey, let's pray for her because I'm going to preach otherwise. JJ, stand up and pray for her, man of God. Jesus, thank you for the word, God, that is uh, freely given to us. God, and I pray that we would be open to receive it tonight. God, I pray that our hearts would be stirred, God, to, uh, God, to advance your kingdom, God, not our own agendas, God, not our own selfishness, but Lord. Pray that our lives, our hearts, our minds, our bodies would be laid down as a living sacrifice, God, to your kingdom. They go forth. God, I pray your blessing upon the speaker tonight upon Gloria. God, let her words be yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, you preach as long as you want to about whatever you want to. And let's just do it again to the Lord. Okay. Okay. Hi, church. Hello. Hi. Hi. Well, I've been to 31 states, and I've never been to Texas. And this oh. is my first time to Texas. <laughs> I've spent the most time in your church. <laughs> so that should say something, right? Um, I don't know why Texas was never a place I came. I guess the weather was as hot as Malaysia. So I like the snow and when it really snows. Like I've been to Alaska. So <laughs> that's the kind I like. Um, let me tell you a little bit about Malaysia. Have any of you been to Malaysia? I know one. Well, we have the best food next to jambalaya and gumbo. <laughs> that should say something, right? Okay, um, Malaysia is in Southeast Asia. It's on, let me see. Um, it's south of Thailand, north of Singapore. And we have about 28 million people. And there are three main ethnic groups. Then there are others, you know, small ethnic groups. There's the Malay, the Chinese, which makes up 24.6%. Um, and the Indian population that makes up 7.1%. And the Christians are only, Christianity is only 10% in Malaysia. But with that 10%, after coming to America, I've been here four years and I've traveled quite a bit. After coming to America, I would say that 10%, if you light a fire, it'll catch on fire. Amen. It's, you know, really serious Christians. Amen. Um, and I don't say this to offend, but a lot of American churches, you have more pews than people, you know. Ah. Um, and it's... <laughs> I feel like you need to evangelize in the church. <laughs> not, not, not your church, but you know, a lot of places are like that. Um, in Malaysia, the three main religions are, or there are more, Islam, Buddhism, Taoism, Hinduism, Sikhism. So there are plenty. You have seen it all. You know, um, things that you see probably in different places that you go, all the temples, the shrines, the um, j j just whatever, you know. It, whatever you've seen it all, they've seen it in Malaysia. Um, I noticed in America people homeschool a lot and in Malaysia that, that wasn't allowed till the last five years, maybe five, six years, um, homeschooling wasn't popular but what the church did was they really trained, the children's church and the youth ministry really trained the young people. We were, I think being young, we were trained that we will be the only Jesus our friends will see, we will be the only Bible our schoolmates will read. 
So we were trained from, you know, every Sunday, you would go and live right the rest of the week. And a lot of the schools in Malaysia were built by the early missionaries. And so although the, although later Islam came in and Muslim leaders took over, the missionaries actually have a long-standing agreement with the schools that there has to be a, if the schools were started by missionaries, there has to be a Christian fellowship in the school and you cannot close it down. They've had, they've closed those school hours and they closed and Christians gathered together, they did prayer walks, they did prayer rallies around the principal's house every single day. They fasted, they prayed, and they got it reinstated back. Amen. They found long-standing documents that said, the school came with this Christian fellowship and you cannot shut it down. So every morning the Muslims will pray, but the Christians were allowed to have worship service once a week. The Christians were allowed to pray in school. And the young people were just so passionate for God. Um, and I think the highest rate for salvation is when kids are in school because the teenagers were winning teenagers. Until wow. today, it's still going on. The highest rate for salvation is when they are in schools. Amen. And they pay a high price because they still live at home with their parents and religion is so tied to family values. So when you're saying no to the religion that your family believes in, it's almost like saying no to them. And they are persecuted, they are, you know, it's, it's a tough price they pay for saying yes to Jesus. Um, in fact, when I was thinking about my walk with God, I was blessed to be raised in church in a Christian family. My parents didn't always love it, but I've had good mentors, good leaders to walk me through. I've got good grandparents, good relatives that really enforce um, the practice, you know, to, to live my life right. But um, when I was, I think I was 13, this girl, this 16-year-old girl stopped me in school and she was considering me to serve on board with the, with the Christian fellowship, but she wanted me to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And she came in school. This is a Muslim school. She pulled me aside. She's like, we're going to pray for you today and you're going to speak in tongues. You know, and, and I, today looking back, I'm like, she was 16 and the boldness she had to, to do it. And she did it. She, you know, she got a few people together. We prayed. Um, they had their guitar going on, they were worshipping, and you know, I was baptized in school by a 16-year-old girl. So people were just so passionate. It was a country where, when I look back, you know, they were just so on fire, so passionate. And um, so I was in Malaysia, I taught at different, I worked with a lot of internationals, I worked at different places. I, I taught ESL, English as a second language, and I've always, because of my upbringing where Wherever you are, that's your mission field. That's something I've always carried with me. Amen. And so when I taught ESL in Malaysia, my classroom was my, my mission field. Amen. And I remember having students from different countries. Every Sunday they came to church with me. My students, you know, I, I had students from Iran, from Japan and Korea, and they would just, you know, just come to church with me. And it was just such a fruitful experience seeing God just work in their lives. And four years ago, four and a half years ago, 21st April, I left, you know, I came to the U.S. And little did I think, the la you know, I was only coming for a year. I told my family bye. I told my boyfriend then bye. I'm coming for a year to America. I was going to do the au pair program. It's an exchange program where you live with an American family and you provide childcare. And, you know, I just wanted to see the U.S. for one year. Well, you know, and then go back, get married and, you know, and do and live life. So I left for a year or so I thought. And my year has been four years and counting. <laughs> so, you know, but I'm glad God's plans are not my plans. I'm glad he scripts the story of my life. Yeah. Um, so I came to the U.S. 
I landed with a single mom in Cleveland, Ohio. And you know, it's a small little town. Um, and I stayed there for four years. No, sorry, I'm sorry, for four months. I landed in Cleveland, I stayed there for four months. And in that four months, and you know, every time when God gives you, when God's going to do something great, there's bound to be opposition. I remember just coming to the US, within a month, I remember just falling sick, and you know, just, I think I spent the whole four months just in different medical hospitals in Cleveland. Thank goodness they have one of the world's best, you know, the country's best. Um, but there was a whole nother testimony where God just, you know, God just came through, God healed, God, God, God just took care of that need. But in Cleveland, and right after that in Cleveland, um, my host mom lost a job and I had to move to a different family. And, you know, I was very prayerful about it. Okay, God, where next? I wanted to go where you want me to go, so where next? And I had about 18 families contact me. But the one that stood out was a single dad with three boys. And I'm like, what do I tell my family? What do I tell my boyfriend? I'm going to be the only girl in the house, like, you know? But God was so clear that there was no way... I just knew. I asked them for pictures. I asked them, you know, when they sent pictures, that was the only family that just, you know, I don't know. I just, I just knew and you knew that it was God. So I shared with them and I was surprised. No objections. They prayed. God spoke to them individually. They said, yeah, go. Um, I had a mentor in Cleveland. It was, you know, Cleveland was great. It was great campus ministry that I was involved in. Great friends, great church. But God shut the doors. God said, you know, you're going here. And in Cleveland, there were 60 families and I couldn't find. Whereas this, um, they put you in small groups. And in Chicago, there were only 10 families and that was where God sent me. Yeah. So anyway, I'll get, before I get there, they will tell me um, the youngest boy, his name is Billy. The youngest boy was diagnosed with Asperger's, a spectrum of autism, and he didn't speak. So they told me, well, you can bang it around, you know, but this is it. The youngest boy, didn't, he didn't speak much. He just started speaking a few words. Um, and the reason was because his mom was pregnant with him um, and she had cancer. Mm. So she started going for chemo while she was pregnant with him. Mm. Doctors told her to abort, her husband told her to abort, friends, family, neighbors, everybody who could speak told her to abort. But she was Catholic, but she really knew her God through her journals. Later I'll find out. Um, and she said, no, she's going to keep this baby and it was God's will whether he takes the life or not. She's going to keep this baby. She fought with everything in her to keep the child. And um, so I get there, you know, I, but God spoke, so I'm going. But there were days I remember thinking, God, you know, I have no experience with special needs. On my own flesh, this was not the family I would have picked. Like, you know, I'll run the other way. I'll be a Jonah and run the opposite direction, you know. <laughs> so you know and you know it's God. And four months after I got there, within four months, they gave me this big folder of all the autism therapy and this is what you do, that is what you do. All I did was just pray and talk to him every day. Within four months, now you can't get him to shut up. Oh. He just talks and talks and talks and then, and now he's nine and there's no sign of autism. And it's only Jesus. There's only Jesus. And every time when someone tells me, well, maybe we should abort because, and I remember writing, I, I read a lot of blogs and, you know, when people are arguing about pro-life, well, maybe because of cancer, this is allowed. I always tell them, this boy is a living, walking miracle of a God that lives. Amen. Because she chose to honor God. Amen. You know, she, the mom actually loved after he was born. She lived for four years and then the cancer came back and it was in her brains and then this time she didn't make it. 
And the other neat thing is, later I'll find out just before I left, her friend will come by. And the friend will tell me, the mom actually prayed God that God will send someone to work with him for four years. Huh? Wow. So that he would have some form of stability. And the friend didn't believe. She was like, who would come to a house with three boys, a single dad, and stay for four years? She thought, you know, this lady's crazy. And even the au program, you can only stay two years. So the friend didn't say anything. But when she saw me at the close to the end of my four years, she was like, you're still here? You know, this woman prayed. And I laughed at her. I thought, you know, she was like, you know, this won't happen. But I was just thinking... She passed away, but her prayers didn't die. Amen. You know, God just orchestrated every detail. Because if I would have come from Malaysia, there was no way I would have chosen that family. I just knew Cleveland had to happen because, you know, God had to. That's how God was. The only way was going to get my attention. And moving to Chicago was rough. Moving to Chicago, it's just a cold city. You know, people were nice, but uh, the city was nice, but people were cold. People were, I don't know. And church was dry. You can ask Joellen and Charlie. It was it was a rough beginning. It was just, it was just you know, um, we felt like we had to evangelize in the church. The church needed Jesus more than the world, you know. <laughs> and if I were to sum up my years in the U.S., I would say it's to run after God with reckless abandonment, Amen. with blind faith trust and obedience and there's always a price to pay you know but it's saying yes oh and oh and you'll really see god work so i just did day-to-day -day life you know i was just a babysitter you think well you know mom staying home just watching kids it's boring play dates but i really pray god you know let this be my mission field and you'll show me how to do this i mean it's just babysitting it wasn't fun but it was just so amazing there were 10 girls in that little um suburb i was in from all 10 au pairs. And by the end that I left, all 10 will hear the gospel. All 10 will come to know Christ one way or another. Some really made significant changes. Some have gone home where the our families have gotten saved. And I'll just share some with you. There was this girl, she was from Switzerland. And she was wild. I mean, <laughs> the wild of the wild lot, you know. She just had more men in her life than you can count in a week. She just partied a lot. And I grew up sheltered. So I grew up in the church. I grew up sheltered. So it was too much. But I didn't have friends in church. So during the day, we would spend time. We would have play dates. The kids played together. We would talk. But God really gave me a... No, not in the beginning. So I'll bring her to church. I'll bring her to church. And every time worship came on, she was a mess. She was just in tears. But she was so hard that she was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's okay. I'm okay. You know, she would not admit God was working in her life. And I was stubborn. I just felt, you know, God, I'll send other people to talk to her. I'm not talking to her. I just felt, you know, her mess was too much for me to deal with. And, and every week, you know, she would come. She would just come. Curiously, she'll come. And every week, she'll be in tears. But I wouldn't talk to her. I'll pray God work in her. And other people were making plans to talk to her. So I was like, okay, God, this is, I brought her. Other people has, you know, to be. But I remember one day God speaking to me through the woman at the well, where he, you know, and really jumped up on me, where he stopped for the lady at the well. Mm. He crossed racial barrier, gender barrier, culture barrier, and he stopped for her. Mm. And if he could stop for her, then I had no excuse. Amen. And, you know, and when I started working with her, I just started sharing with her and praying with her. And then God sent Joellen and Charlie and they took off with her. So God just, it was just so beautiful because her life was totally transformed. And then she made, she made peace with her father after that. It was just so beautiful to see God just work in her life. 
And then later came, along the road came another Mexican girl. And she was just the sweetest little thing, you know, during the day. But at night, she was also a crazy party girl. Like, I've never, you know, just really crazy party. A lot of men, she drank more alcohol than she did water. She just, you know, I, I've never seen anything like that. And all 10 were all the same. So they all clicked together. And I was the only one that was, you know, not part of the crowd. So anyway, but this, you know, this was my mission field. This is what I prayed for. This is what God gave me. So you deal with it, you know. And her testimony was so beautiful. I think she went to a church. And in Chicago, it's hard to find a church. I, we never found a church that spoke in tongues. She actually went to a church that spoke in tongues. Wow. And she'll go to church. You know, she'll go to church with us. She'll party all day on Saturday. We went for a Sunday evening service. And so she'll go to church. For the whole year she went to church, nothing made sense to her. Nothing you know, nothing clicked. But one day a South African girl will actually invite her to church and she would go to church. And then the girl will ask her, so how do you like my church? And she's like, well, it's good, but why do they speak South African if they're in America? And she'll actually tell them, no, you know, she'll, she'll explain to her they were speaking in tongues. And this girl was so curious. So, you know, we led her to the Bible, we showed her, then we of course sent her to Joellen and Charlie and they explained some more and throughout the week we met, you know, we explained to her and she just got, that was the beginning where things began to click with her because she just got so hungry for God that she was just reading the Bible, she read every missionary story, she could get her hands, you know, get a hold of, she was just so on fire for God and she accepted Christ shortly right after. And as soon as she accepted Christ, she went on a three-day fast. Her grandmother was really sick in Mexico, and she wanted to pray. She wanted God to spare her grandmother. She went on a three-day full fast. And mind you, she was only a two-month Christian. She went three days full fast. She prayed that, God, if you would spare my grandmother, I want to go back and tell her Jesus changed my life. And her friends thought she was, you know, her whole family gave her the alcohol. So they were like, are you in some cult? Are you okay? They kept offering her alcohol. They didn't know why she was going for Bible study and not going to the clubs. So it was just, you know, it was just the people around her found it hard to adjust to her. So she went on a full fast and God will keep, you know, her grandmother was getting really sick, but God will keep her alive. December 28th, and her mom was really unhappy that she was a Christian. Her mom felt she was a single mother. Her mother felt, if I have financial problems, I want real answers. Don't tell me to pray. Um, but December 28th, she would go back, she was going back to Mexico for 10 days. The night before we meet, we pray, to, you know, before she goes home, we are praying because her friends are waiting for this party girl to come back. She's no more that girl. She gets to O'Hare Airport and they tell her she cannot leave. Her passport expired. Oh. So she surrenders her passport and they say, no, it expired in September. This is December 28th. So there's no way she could leave the airport and you know, so she calls me just crying and crying and just like, my passport expired. And the only thing I remember praying was Don Moan's song, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. I was just like, God, you know, this is a two-month Christian. She fasted three days. You better do something, you know. I cannot imagine. I just couldn't imagine driving this crying girl home when, you know, she really prayed. She really believed. She really fasted. And so we are praying on the phone. And then this woman comes up to her and she asks her, what's wrong? She explains. And then the woman takes her to the computer and her name is no more on the passenger list. That's been removed. And so the woman's like, you know, I don't know what I can do with you. But let me see. She walks in. Ten minutes later, the woman comes back. A boarding pass in hand. But before that, she's like, 
Can you call my mom in Mexico, tell her don't leave because of the drug war? I don't speak Spanish, the mom doesn't speak English. There's no way I could talk to her mother. You know, and her mom was already three hours away to the oh, airport. Wow. So it was just so much craziness. It was so much better if God just solved it. So anyway, <laughs> you know, so, we, ten, you know, 10 minutes later, this woman comes out, the boarding pass in hand, and the woman takes her by the hand, checks her bags and both her bags in for free, walks her to the gate. She doesn't need to do any explanation. The woman explains everything. This is O'Hare. I mean, you're not talking some small, you know, airport in the boonies. This is O'Hare International <laughs> Airport. This doesn't happen. So she t walks her through security, explains everything. And at the gate, the woman tells her, this is as far as I can come with you. Just pray in Houston. They don't see your passport. And, you know, in Houston. And then she calls me, you know what, God, you know, and she was so excited on the other end. Um, and we get to, and then she gets to Houston and she's praying. She's like, you know, I'm going to pray God blinds their eyes, like how he blinds the, the eyes of the people in China when, when they smuggle Bibles in. And I'm like, she read enough, you know, she's taking God at his word. And she gets to Houston and she said, they check everyone's on, when it came to her, they just, they just waved her in. Nothing asked, no questions asked, they just waved her in. So she would get to Mexico with no, you know, on, 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 with no passport. <coughs> because the passport was expired, but that was the beginning of her mother's salvation. Because her mother knew there was no way her daughter could have been on that flight if it wasn't for Jesus, you know. So in that 10 days, her mom will get saved and they spend the best time just praying, reading the Bible. It was just so beautiful to see. And then she was also discipled by Joellen and Charlie. It was, it was just really beautiful how God brought us together because I was just a babysitter doing regular babysitter stuff, you know, just every day, play dates, whatever, pick kids up from school, drive them to soccer, but in between, and you know, we were just reading, having Bible studies during the day, in between, while kids were in school, at night we wear the browns, every day, every night we wear the browns to eat, and then of course they take out their Bibles, <laughs> there was just no way, they would cook, but make sure you read the Bible before you walk out the door, so, you know, it was just really beautiful what God did in Chicago. And um, and as my year ended, my as my year was coming to a close, I was like, well, you know, I think I need to go back. I stayed one year and then I extended one more year because of that little boy. So I'm like, God, I need to go back. I was preparing to go back, but the little boy, every night he prayed, Jesus, give Gloria one more Christmas with me. Mm. Every night. <laughs> and I just couldn't walk out. You know, how do you walk out <laughs> when, uh, you know, he was six? And he was praying every night, Jesus, give Gloria one more Christmas with me. And I was like, I was trying to explain. It doesn't work like that. You cannot tell the government, you know, there's no way. There was just no way. And, um, and I, got, I just got engaged a few months ago because I was like, well, I'm going home, you know. But every night he, he would pray. And then my fiance then knew, you know, he met the family. He has come for a visit. And he was like, you know, I think you've got to stay. <laughs> you, you can't leave, you know, that I think you've just got to stay because he was really... This little boy was just, you know, the, the days he'll pray. I mean, he prayed every day, Jesus gives Gloria one more Christmas with me. But there were days he was just so upset. You're going to leave me like my mama left me. Uh, I'm going to heaven tomorrow. I need to bring her back. She's gone. Too long. And, you know, it just, it just broke your heart. You know, he didn't understand. So I'm like, okay, Billy, if you want me to stay, you've got to pray. You know, because yeah. there's no way I'm going to afford school. There's only way for me to stay is to go to school. And there's no way I could afford. Jesus will do it. It's okay. We'll pray. <laughs> you know, and he, he was like, we'll pray. So I applied for school and my agreement with God, I said, God, I want to do it, but I want to do it in one year. You've got to help me do it in one year. I don't know where 
finances is going to come through, you've got to do it, you know, because I traveled the most times I was here, so I didn't have much savings, I just traveled everywhere, I went to see every state I could see. <laughs> and this little boy, he really would pray, and I, I applied for school, so the first time I was like, okay, but let me try, for summer I'll just take one class, I'll see how God's going to pay this bill. And we get into, you know, I went to see my faculty advisor, he came along, just as we walked out her door, I said, you know, Billy, this is my school, do you like it? Oh, your school, your university, we need to pray here. This boy that the doctor said about said, we need to pray. And he literally laid hands on the bricks of the school, huh. on the walls. And he prayed the prayer. I, you know, I was in complete tears. He prayed, Jesus, you make her great here. You make sure her visa comes through. You make sure you give her the money for her school. Give her good friends, good teachers. Okay, you understand God? <laughs> you know? and, I mean, he just took God at his word. You know, he, there was no... No problems, he just did it, like a simple childlike faith. And then he prayed me through every semester because, you know, as an international, you pay double the rate locals pay. He, paid, he prayed me through 20000 in one year, and I never saw the amount in my bank account. Every semester, there was enough to pay my school fees. Every semester, God just did it. And it was also a year I gave the most to missions. It was also the year I gave the most to orphans. Because, you know, it was a year where God really challenged me, where I read from, I was reading from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy, Leviticus, where he says, to care for the orphans, the aliens, and the widows. Amen. Over and over. It's not, you know, it's not an option. It's a command. And I just took it. I just, you know, okay, if this is what you want me to do, you know, and it was a year that I, he just opened my whole world into just understanding. He, I understood his heart for missions, but he really just opened my eyes to orphan ministry. And every time there were, there were times when, you know, I just felt led to give to a ministry. And the next thing, I'll have enough money that at the end of that week to pay my school fees. And, you know, that was just a year where I just saw that you can never outgive God. It was a year I saw that. How to just run after him with reckless abandonment, where you lay everything down, you lay, you know, your family down, your fiance down, everything, and just run after God. If this is the road he calls you to walk, you walk. And um, so when I finished, I finished um, school, and it was also in school, it was just beautiful to see. I've got favors with my professors that none of the other students had. It was just really beautiful. That In fact, in March, I went back and I was telling my, I was sitting with my, Dean and I was telling her what I was doing with internationals and she's from Burundi and she suffered the Hutu Tutsi war if you're aware of the Hutus and the Tutsis in Burundi and she came out of that and she used to in her papers she always used to write thank you Jesus for the New Testament I would always see it and I never understood it so one day when I asked her she said I cannot accept the Old Testament because of the war and I come from a I saw my father murder and I don't understand why why the why god allows it so you know i knew she was hurt i often prayed for her but this time when i went to tell her how i was working with internationals and i was telling her about god's heart to care for the orphans the aliens and the widows and the aliens is international it's god's heart you know and he said don't mistreat an alien because you were aliens in egypt and and i was just sharing with her the whole every international how god's heart is to care for every international in the bible and i walked her through from genesis onwards all the internationals and that's his heart and she just had tears in her eyes and she said i never saw my bible that way so you know when i was in school god really gave me favor with different professors and and they all knew my story they all knew this girl had no scholarship somehow her money every semester god's paying her bills they all knew because i just said no 
and every semester I was the one traveling. I was the one, you know, doing skydiving and jumping off planes. And they just knew, you know, they were just waiting to see. Um, the other international, the other girls waited to see. So really, God going to pay this bill, you know? And every semester they waited and God always did it. Um, and and they, they knew times when I said, oh, you know, I think I need to give. And they're like, you're giving, but you're paying, saving for school. And I'm like, you know, I'll see how God does it. And, and he never faltered. And um, as soon as my year in school ended, I, I just, I didn't feel, I still didn't feel like God wanted me to leave. It was, you know, I never had the peace to leave as much as in, in, you know, in my flesh, I wanted to go back. I just never had the peace to leave. And so I put my resume out there as an international, you're allowed to work in the U.S. for one year. And I just felt, you know what, I'm going to lay my fleece out there. Americans can't find a job. Let me see if I get a job, you know. <laughs> and I was teaching ESL, so I'm, yeah, I doubted it. I just thought, let me try. I'll, put, I'll send my resumes out there, but let me see. If, if nothing comes up, because you need to find a job in your field within three months, or you've got to leave the country. And I was happy to go back. But I had two different schools contact me, and I don't know how, I did not send them my resume. These two schools will get it from somebody else, and they will contact me to say, would you come for an interview? And it was Ohio State and Wright State in Dayton. So I went to Wright State in Dayton for an interview. It really, somehow it just settled in my spirit, and God really spoke to me. I remember driving to, I was just driving there, and one day God would really speak to me. And I was praying, God, you know, are you sure this is the school? Are you sure this is where, did I hear you right? Is this where you want me? And I was at a traffic light, and God would speak to me, read the sign, and I read, right state. Then again, you know, read the sign, I read, right state, okay. By the third time, read the sign. And by the third time, I'm like, God, don't you think I know where I am? You know, I work here. <laughs> and the third time, I did not see the W. It was right state. Like, you know, it just silenced every doubt that, you know, you're in the right place. It wasn't, you know, University of Dayton. It wasn't any other school. It was right state. Don't, you know, don't go anywhere. Just right state. <laughs> And I remember Ohio State offering, they, they counter-offered that offer, and they were offering a thousand more. But I wanted, where I went, I wanted that to be my mission field. In Ohio State, they had a lot of work among international students, and Wright State, in Dayton area, there was nothing. And so, you know, I prayed about it, I had no peace about Ohio State, and I remember telling, you know, and I remember my interviewer telling me, from an employer's perspective, I want you I want you in my organization, but if I were to think of what's best for you, I think you would do better in Dayton. And you know, so I was surprised that he actually said it, and, and I just knew, as soon as you know, I went in for the interview, I walked out, I just knew this is not for me, this is really not for me, and I took a much lower paying job because I just felt I was called to Dayton, I just, there was no work among internationals, and what I do in, in Dayton, a lot of the internationals are from Muslim countries. And so having come from Malaysia, which is a Muslim country, I did 12 years of Islamic studies. So I just knew, you know, I'll be able to minister better, reach out to international. They're right here, they're in your classrooms, you know. So I've really seen God just move and work and just, just take me on an incredible journey of faith, trust, obedience, even when it made no sense. You know, I wouldn't, on my own, I would never go to a home with a single father. On my own, I would never... I would never go to and teach in the boonies. I'm a city girl. 
So, you know, Dayton is just boonies and cornfields and, <laughs> you know, I, you give me the city. I'm more afraid in the cornfields than anywhere else. But really, I've seen God work like never before. I've, you know, and it's also been a year where I've really seen the father heart of God. You know, especially with working with kids, I've seen the way God loves and loves unconditionally. You know, um, we all come with our messes and he doesn't expect us to be perfect, but how he just loves and loves us unconditionally. And, you know, and in Malachi 3.10, where he says, test me in this. And that's the only time in scripture he tells us, test me in this. No other times in scripture, I've, you know, not that I know, where he tells you. But in Malachi, he says, when you give your tithe and you bring your offering, that's the only time he says, test me in this, whether I'll give you back. Mm. You know, and I have really seen work. For my life i've seen it um i remember my first car I was living with my whole family none of them were christians you know the, the mom was catholic but and she and she knew her god through her journals but nothing you know the dad didn't practice it the older two kids didn't but i remember one day at, um i'll wake up that morning and god really impressed in my heart to give to an uh an orphan online I was, I, was I was following the orphan for a while i was giving you know for every at someone's birthday i'm going to give you gifts through giving to an orphan. And um, God really impressed with my heart to give it to this orphan. And 10 minutes later, there was a knock on my door. And before I gave, I was like, God, you sure? I'm, you know, you know I'm saving, right? I'm, you know, to, to move to Ohio. But 10 minutes later, my host dad will come in and he'll say, the minivan that you drive is yours. I'm signing the title over. And that was the car the wife drove. And this was a non-Christian. Where, you know, God used him to bless me. He's like, you can take it. You know, the car is yours. And that was my first car. I mean, you know, to use a non-Christian to bless. And then I was moving to Ohio. That whole time, I really saw every time God was faithful. Then there was another time before Thanksgiving. And this girl was going. I knew this girl from church going to India. And I was babysitting two days in a row. And I had all my cash with me. And I remember so strongly feeling the urge give her your cash and I'm like all of it God like, really all of it <laughs> you know and I was battling in my head like you know all of it so I finally got the envelope and I wrote it to Heather for, for India I'm not arguing I'm just going to do it <clears throat> two weeks later so I gave her you know I just gave her no questions asked two weeks later um, for Thanksgiving one of the aunts come to see me and she's like can you stop by my house you know for the weekend and I did I went by to her place and she had a card in front of her and she said, I cannot put a price tag to what you have done for the boys. I know this is something my sister would want you to have. And, you know, she pushed the card over. So I left, you know, I took it, I thanked her. I walked out, I wasn't expecting anything. She said something small. I get to church and I open it and it was a four-figure check. What I put in that offering bag was nothing compared to what she gave me. You know, so over and over, I've just seen the faithfulness of God in a way I've never seen. Like, ridiculous. Because, I, you know, I'm an international. I came with really nothing. You know, I came, God paid my school, God did this, God did that, everything. You know, there are times the other girls would would laugh they would be like it only happens to gloria you would see her car fix for free you would see her oil change for free you would see you know just and the girls cannot help but say only gloria and her god this will work and they've often you know they always have seen god work and and it's just really beautiful um and with what i'm doing with internationals i'll share a little bit about what i'm working with internationals in dayton can i have the slides this is the ministry I work with. It's international right. friendships. And next one, Joy. 
And if you see here, click on it. There are two biblical strategies where God's people go to the world, and it's the Great Commission from Matthew 12, 18, 19, and 20, where we are called to go into all nations. And then the world comes to God's people mm. in Acts 2, 5, and 41. Let me read that to you. The, you know the the world comes to church and can I see the next slide please? and this is the covenant God gave Abraham in Genesis 12 where he says I will make you a great nation and I will bless you I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you so this and in Revelations chapter 5 verse 9 after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude and no one could come from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And here in Revelations, you see, and my heart is for the nations, and to see that this is what we are doing. We'll, this is something we'll be doing for eternity. This was John's revelation, Amen. that we will stand before the throne, every nation, every tongue, every tribe. So if you're going to be doing this for eternity, might as well start now. <laughs> you know? Um and why I work with internationals, and why we should all work with internationals, it's, it's scriptural. The Bible cannot be properly understood apart from the roles of internationals. And I'll explain further. Can I, the next slide please? And here we'll look at all the internationals that are mentioned in the Bible. If you actually take your Bible apart, from Abraham, Joseph, Daniel, Ruth, Ezekiel, Moses, Nehemiah, the nation of Israel, and even Jesus was an international. If you actually pull, you know, if you actually looked at your Bible, every international that's mentioned, so you really see God's heart for the nation. And um, I never so much thought about Jesus being an international until a few weeks ago, I and I met a Muslim girl, and you know she walked into this class. I was just sitting there thinking, God, are you sure this is something you want me to do? Support raising is slow. You know, I don't, I don't really like the boonies. Are you sure? Did I hear you right? And um, and right there, you know, while I'm processing my thought and my doubts and entertaining it, right there, this girl walks in, she's covered, and, you know, we have a conversation, and I asked her where she's from, she said Jordan. And I thought that's rather strange, because a lot of them come from, from usually Saudi or Iraq, I didn't think, you know, she was from Jordan. And then she tells me, so we start talking, and she asked me what I do, I said I teach ESL, but soon I'll be working full-time with internationals. I'm trying to bridge the gap between internationals and Americans. And you know, and right there she's just crying, she pulled a chair up, maybe you can help me. And then she tells me how she was a refugee from Iraq. And she said she moved to Jordan and Jordan to the US and she said every time she tells people she's from Iraq, no one will befriend her. Yeah. And how she's lonely, she's scared, you know, she said she doesn't know how the bus system works, they don't have <coughs> the coin system. And you know, this is the first time, she doesn't know how the grocery store works. So she's just telling me this whole thing and she's like, I wish I had an American to just teach me how everything worked. And um, you know, and we, 
we made friends and and just she was just sharing with me her loneliness of being a refugee she talked about the refugee camp in jordan and then she talked about coming here and just you know and she said you will never understand what it's like to be a refugee and then i just you know it it um i didn't think much about it i walked her to her you know to her class and i was just telling her you know i understand what it's like to be an international you need friends family it's lonely you know you make new friends you make new family but christmas is not christmas it's not the same as how you have it back home so I, you know i sort of tried to empathize with her we talked we walked away and then when i came back i felt god you couldn't have been any louder you know the work i do is crucial because there's nothing in dayton that actually bridges the internationals and the americans there's no christian ministry out there doing it and and right there he leads me to scripture matthew 2 verses 13 to 15 where it talks about the angel visiting joseph to say um get up and leave egypt get up and leave because herod is after you and just as reading that few verses and i just thought jesus was a refugee what does it mean get up and leave it means you know and they had to stay in egypt till herod passed away and i was just thinking you know we we often read our bibles that two scriptures and we don't think about it but you know i i was just thinking i cannot imagine drive you know i drive in the boonies at night and i'm afraid i cannot imagine <laughs> fleeing with a child a young child late at night fearing for your life and that was exactly what joseph mary and jesus went through and you know it just it just humbled me it just i don't it was just such a god moment where you just knew i just felt the next time i see her i'm going to talk to her and i'm going to tell her i may not understand what it's like to be a refugee but my jesus was a refugee amen we amen. often glorify the cross but you know we need to we need to sort of analyze and study the the human side of jesus and it's so powerful you know um so we have been in touch this whole week it's the muslim festival <coughs> and you know i'm waiting to go back and have more conversation with her and see where god will lead you know i really want to lead her to the scripture um can i see the next one and they are Yeah, international. Some international stay in the nation, and some that are called to return home. And Moses returned home, Nehemiah and the nation of Israel. So you'll encounter, you know, and even just going around Houston, there's so many internationals living among you, and you have the world right here, you know, at, in your backyard. The world has made tremendous progress since Jesus gave his great commission more than two thousand years ago. And here in the slide they show you the radar the unreached people group the green maybe you can see much of the world has been exposed to the gospel however if you look at this next slide this is the 1040 window if you are aware of it and the 1040 window is actually 10 degrees to 40 degrees north of the equator and it's the nations that have yet to be evangelized and a lot of them have little or no access to the gospel a lot of them um where it's illegal to send missionaries out there and a lot of the people are lost they are lost without Christ there's no way to get in there into those nations you see the next slide but and this is where you see all in the green is the islamic nation and the one in the pink non religious hinduism buddhism and this this is the world you know this is this is where a lot of them are not safe but if i look at my next slide at least 55 of the unevangelized um countries 95 97% of them have come to america a lot of them are in the us now pursuing higher education 
two-thirds of the world population live here, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and they are centered in the 1040 window. 90% of the people in the window are unevangelized. One twenty-fifth, 25% of Christian mission giving is going to mission work here, and that's, you know, for a Christian nation. That's, that doesn't say much. Can I see the next one? And here, I, I just moved the globe to where Texas is, and the nations have come here. So we, you know, you don't need to go far. The 1040 window, a lot of them have come to Texas. In fact, I made a few calls. Can I see the next slide? I made a few calls today, and about 3,000 students uh, just to the University of Houston. University of Houston has about 3,000 international students, and they come from 137 nations. Wow. And a lot of them come from the Muslim world. And I come from the Muslim world. I have, you know, I have students in my classes, in my ESL classes. I have 100% Muslim students. And they are so hungry. They are very open to having God conversations. In fact, I, I usually tell my coworkers that are Christians, it's easier to have a God conversation with a Muslim because that's all they know. They are so religion and, and their identity is so intertwined. So it's so easy to have a God conversation with a Muslim than it is to have with an American. It's almost illegal to have a God conversation with an American. But with a Muslim, they are very open and they are just so hungry. In fact, um, was it last month I had, I spent all day, you know, and with the Muslim, it's slower. You've got to build intentional friendships with them. They need to see that you're interested in them. So um, I spent all day with these four Muslim girls. In their country, they're not allowed to drive. Um, from Saudi Arabia, the Muslim girls are not allowed to drive. They did nothing, so they just stayed home. The whole four months, they just did the university and the apartment and the grocery store, and that's it, four months. And so when I found out, I just felt so bad, so I took them out hiking, I spent all day with them, and the end of the night, we had, you know, we were just talking about different things, different faith, and they asked me, these four girls, um, they asked me, can we go to church with you tomorrow? And I was really, you know, first, it, it took me... It took a while before I recovered. I didn't know, do I say yes, do I say no? And in Malaysia, it's illegal for me to take a Muslim to church. It's illegal for me to evangelize to any Muslim. So even in this ministry, it's, it's very risky because if one of them decides to just give my name to the embassy, it puts me in trouble, it puts my family in trouble. So, you know, I, and, I, and that Sunday, I was actually going to a different church to share my ministry and I was trying to get locals involved to be host families. Um, so I didn't, you know, I've never been to this church and I didn't know, and I usually don't bring an international to a church I've never been to. You know, if they don't talk to me, they may not talk to the students, so I didn't know what to, you know. But in that split second, I had to make that choice. Do I bring them? Yes, no. And so I said, sure, you know, I'll, I'll take you to church. And the next day, and they were so excited, the next day they were waiting downstairs, you know, from the apartments, they were already waiting, so excited, they get in the car, and they're like, do we look like Christians, you know? But they, they had their hands up, just so excited, you know? And I, I sent like 50 people text messages, please be praying, you know, I, I just don't know what to make out of it, this fall, Muslim girls coming to church, and they wouldn't shake hand across gender, so they wouldn't shake hand with men. I, you know, if the church had the meet and greet session, I did not know what, to, you know, I just didn't know what, what to make out of the whole thing. So my co-worker comes with me and I thought, well, between the two of us, we could push crowds, you know, we could handle 
do crowd management. <laughs> so we get there, we are really praying, we get to the door, and I walk in, try to tell the usher, don't offer your hand, you know, they wouldn't shake hands. So we come in and we all sit there, it's hard to ignore us. When you have a Muslim there, I mean, you know, you bring in a Hindu, a Buddhist, you, you're not sure, you know, they come in like any regular looking person. But when you bring in a Muslim, there's, it's, it's hard to ignore. You, you cannot scream any louder than this. This is where you need to get ready and do your mission field. And so we, we sit right, right at the door, actually. This woman comes running to us. She greets me, but she gets so excited talking to them. And she went on and on in Arabic. And I'm like, I walked into this random church. And there's this woman speaking Arabic. And she looked like an American. She, she was in her 70s, just on and on in Arabic. And then the, this church that I went to, they had two services, a temporary a contemporary and a traditional service and this woman usually goes to the traditional but the girls when the music came on they wanted to go to the contemporary so she came right along with us she sat right with us on the same seat throughout service she translated for us and the pastor was preaching on joseph which was used of in the quran so the girls had no english you know not much english but they followed right along at the end of the service they spoke to people but this woman she, she didn't miss a beat she used the stained glass window and she explained to them the story of the good shepherd and then she recited Psalms 23 in Arabic. So I just felt, I just stepped out in obedience and God met me right there. And he, and he took it so much further than I could have ever done. Amen. You know, yeah. because who walks into an American church and meets a woman that speaks Arabic, you know, and, and she does everything else. And then she gives me her card and she says, I want to partner with your ministry. Um, she's a Lebanese woman that has been in America 36 years. So, you know, it was just, I just stepped out in obedience and God took off from there. Um, they have not come to church since because it's the fasting month, but I'm hoping to pick up with them after that, you know, but it's just a mercy that when you step out in faith, he just meets you right there. You know, you don't need to be capable. You don't need to know everything. You just need to be available and you need to be willing. You need to be available and he just takes off from there. you know, so I'm just thinking with all of you here, what I do is usually in Ohio because that's where the university is at, but you know, you have internationals among you. But the reason I, my focus is on international students is because they go back to their nations. Joy, can I see the next slide, please? And here, they are tomorrow's leaders. And, and if you look on the U.S. Um, government's website, this is on page one of 18. They list all the internationals that studied in the U.S. that have gone home to their countries and their world leaders in their country. And these are some questions of thinking, how many of them were exposed to the gospel while they were here? How many of them are leading their nation with biblical convictions? How many of them have come to Christ? How many of their countries persecute Christians? What might be different if at least, if at the very least, a seed was planted? Amen. So my focus is mainly to international students because a lot of them go back to their countries. They are world leaders in their countries. So if you get them while they are here, you save them while they are here, it's the easiest mission field because you don't need to learn another language, you don't need to fundraise, it's easy. They are going back, you know, they pay to come here and they're going home, you know. So it's their money, they speak the language, you don't need to learn a new language. Spanish is hard, can you imagine? <laughs> and it's an easy ministry to do. Can I see the next slide? And it's an easy ministry, you know, if you slide, you make food, whatever, you can do this ministry. As long as you can speak, all international wants is to, to make a friendship. And I think, you know, if you struggle in your Spanish and you find it difficult, can you imagine they come with no English and, and you, you just get a glimpse of how they feel. You know, they come and you're going on and on and on in your English and, and it's too much for them. You know, it's tiring. 
if one hour of Spanish you felt drained, you try <laughs> staying 24 hours in a foreign language. It's it, it's tiring. It's it's so draining. And that's what you know we make them go through. Can I see the next? Yeah, go on. So this is the vision of IFI, is we serve internationals and partner with them to make Christ known among the nations. So, you know, this is the ministry I do, this is the ministry I'm a part of, and because we see this, it's right here. It's right, you know, they come, they willingly come here. And the different things we do is, um, IFI has now become a mission sending ministry. We have one in Sudan, a guy that came to the U.S., he got saved, he's now in Sudan. We have one in Japan and we have one girl in China. And they've all been really, and, and the IFI pastor actually goes and visits in these different nations once a year. So, um, in fact, when I first planted IFI in Wright State, I was the only one, and people thought I was crazy, but, you know, why don't you join an existing ministry? Why do you want to plant? And I just thought, someone needs to work among internationals there. There's nothing, Wright State has 1,500 internationals with no Christian ministry in there at all. No InterVarsity, no Campus Crusade. They have Campus Crusade, but none of them are reaching internationals. Their needs are different. You know, you can't come with them and speak grace, sanctified, glorified. Nothing's <coughs> gonna go through. You need simple, easy Bible study. And um, I met this woman at a fundraising dinner and she happens to be, and she happens to teach at my university. We just bumped into each other. And her, her story was she got saved 22 years ago through this ministry when she first came from Japan. And now she's a professor at my university. And so when I told her I was planting, I couldn't get any Christian. It was really sad. None, you know, I worked with Christians. None of them offered to be my faculty advisor. The Christians were, you know, none of them offered to be my faculty advisor. And this Japanese lady said, I'm a product of this ministry. I will sign whatever paper, just planted, because I'm alive, that is changed. My daughter is back in um, Japan. Um, she's serving with the tsunami work that's still being done. So she was just so excited. If you will plant this, I will take full responsibility. I'll sign whatever paper, we will get this started. So, you know, just starting it by myself, I've just seen God just bring different people. Recently, I was blessed with a woman who I just met. She gave me her home. She has a pool, she has a wall, she, you know, she's like, you can use my house every Friday for Bible study. And she was a random lady I met just for the first time. And she built, she has no kids, she built a home for ministry and she gave it up. You know, so I've just, just, you know, for me, I felt like I've just stepped out in obedience and God met me right there one door after the next. You know, I'm not sure I need to raise 40,000 in order to plant the ministry for next year. But I, I'm just, you know, if God raised 20,000 for school, I'm believing he, he can double the amount, you know. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the cattle. He owns the hills. I, I just know he'll do it, you know. Amen. And I've been claiming every international. They're coming in next week. And I'm just excited to see where God will take this ministry. Amen. 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 Amen.